Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club, where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film The Bad Seed from 1956 with my wonderful guests, Lauren Lopez and Daniel Strauss. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and on the show today, I have two wonderful guests, Lauren Lopez and Daniel Strauss. Hello, friends. How are you? Great. Doing so well. Happy to be here. Thanks for being here. Um, so this time around, we watched the film The Bad Seed from 1956, and as we were getting on the call, Daniel was sharing um, a little story about his own quote-unquote bad seeds who are actually lovely, absolutely lovely children. Yeah. Of course, they're wonderful kids. They're the, they're best. the best kids, yes. Uh, but one of them did actually, it's very fortuitous what she did. Um, she called down to her mother that she had broken something. It was It's a little um, round piece of embroidery that I was given as a baby that we put in, in her room. And she called down and was like, it's broken, I broke it. I broke it, mom, sorry, I broke it. And um, my wife, Rachel, was very upset. I was like, well, what? You broke it? And then started to go upstairs. And she was like, nope, I didn't break it. I just wanted you to come upstairs. And then uh -huh. she was like, I have the sweetest mommy. I have the most beautiful no! mommy. <laughs> no. That's when she started petting her face. Yeah, she started petting her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. prettiest Obviously. mother. But, but the first half of the story is true. Thank you so much for sharing that. And then that led us to a brief conversation about how children, I one of the issues I had with this film in general was prescribing behavioral ways kids should be behaving. So I was like, kids do crazy things. I was telling you my own story. I'm like, do the people at home want to hear it? Probably not. But how I did crazy weird things as a kid, you know what, I will tell it just to make you not feel alone, Daniel. Sure. I was telling Daniel and Lauren, when I was a kid, my cousin made my mom and I these special boxes at like an arts and crafts class and they were very pretty. And my mom's had a pink rose and mine had an orange rose and I thought her rose was prettier so I like ripped it off her box and wanted to keep it for myself and my mom was really upset with me and it's because kids do things like that they're like I am basically a narcissist because I'm a child and yes. that's pretty and that should be mine and I want it and kids do weird things did you have a weird thing that you wanted to share I mean I know I definitely did weird things as a kid but I can't think of anything right now but it was just a more of a general idea of like yeah kids are just so inappropriate they just like like you said they're they're just so self-absorbed and it's like they can't be any other way that's just how they are when you have an underdeveloped brain but like it's just like they would do something like that where they'd like rip a flower off and be like this is mine it's like 
What? Yeah. Who acts like that? This is mine because it's better. Therefore, it should obviously yes. be mine. Yes. You know, I get obviously why my mom was upset. But at the time, I was kind of like, I think she's overreacting. <laughs> like, you know, like <laughs> my child brain thought that. Yes. I believe I was punished. If it makes anyone feel better at home, I think I got oh, in trouble. What a relief. Yeah, that's good to hear. <laughs> that showed you. <laughs> I think I had to go sit in timeout. Never did that again. I never. Well, they were, my cousin never, you know, made any more arts and crafts for us, probably because my mom was like, oh. yeah, you can't bring those in here. She's a monster. Yeah, that taught you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that brings us into the bad seed. Why did I choose this film this time around? Well, let me tell you. I had never seen it before this, and this was a Lauren Lopez recommendation. Um, and it was for like Halloween, because this movie has some creepy elements, but isn't outright scary. And I'm not really much of a horror person. Horror movies really freak me out. So it's nice to have options that are like, ooh, a little scary or spooky or creepy or weird that aren't necessarily gonna give you nightmares, you know? So I think this falls under that category. Plus, uh, Mervyn Leroy directed it, and uh, we haven't talked about him on the show yet. And he's like very prolific. So that also tied into this. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Great. Had you, Daniel, had you seen it before? No, I, this is my first time seeing it. And I, I loved it. I actually told Lauren <laughs> today, I, I absolutely loved it. It was yes. so fun. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But the short answer is I thought it was terrific. And Lauren, how was this feeling for you as the recommender? How was it? I loved it. I loved it. And I know I've been such a downer of a guest in the past episodes where I've like pretty much disliked every single movie. But this is an old movie that really like it never gets old for me. Every time I watch it, I discover something new and I just, it's just delight. It delights me, even though it's so creepy. Um, so yes, uh, I will give you all a plot synopsis viewers at home in case you haven't seen the film and you just need to know what we're talking about. And there will be spoilers. So if you don't want to know who the murderer is, then maybe go watch the movie first and then come back and listen. Or just, it doesn't matter. It's really old. Also, though, you've had since 1956. So at this point, <laughs> you're going to yeah. have to kind of deal with it. You're going to get over it. Okay? We're going to tell you what happened in the movie. <laughs> okay. So this film, The Bad Seed, picture it. It's the 1950s. We open on this picture-perfect apartment building and family house right the dad is in the air force he's gonna go off to it made it sound like he was going off to war but he was really going to washington dc and i was like wasn't the korean war over at this point i don't really know but they're like the dad is going away and it's just gonna be the mom whose name is christine christine penmark and her daughter rhoda penmark they're gonna be alone in this apartment for a few weeks taking care of themselves and rhoda uh, so Christine is very sweet, a very kind woman. She loves her husband a whole lot. They're very cute together. They look like a picture-perfect family on the outside. Um, but Rhoda may or may not be a psychopath. She's eight years old. She, just a visual for you, like blonde hair into two perfect braids, always in a frilly dress, never gets dirty. That's suspicious enough. How do you not get dirty? I was wondering this, but whatever. Um, so Rhoda we learn pretty early on, did not get a penmanship medal at school that she wanted and felt she deserved. And they're heading to the school picnic on this fine, almost summer day, because it's like the last day of school or whatever. So um, at the picnic, a tragedy occurs. Uh, there's a little boy named Claude Daigle who mysteriously drowns and his penmanship medal is missing. And so there's some suspicion thrown by some people that Rhoda may or may not have had something to do with this. Like nobody is really suggesting 
that she killed someone, but they're saying maybe she knows more than she says she does. Um, and so after this death, it sounds like a lot of the kids are very upset, but Rhoda isn't really upset. She kind of keeps playing with her toys and isn't showing like the typical empathy that they are expecting in her reaction. Um, so as the movie goes on, what they're doing is building doubt and they're starting to go, wait, could Rhoda actually be a murderer? And guess what, everybody? It turns out she is legit a murderer. If she wants something, she's going to do whatever it takes to get it. Oh, and Monica prophesied this in the beginning. She's like, Rhoda gets what she wants. She asks for it and she gets it. And so I was like, yes, she continues that throughout the film. So if she wants something and you have it, she's going to kill you to get it. And she's like, okay with that, you know, because it suits her. It comes out through the course of the film that she had killed uh, a previous babysitter of hers. She killed Claude Daigle with her shoe, which is awful, but also kind of badass a little bit. They found his body and it had little crescent marks, which is like the tap on her little shoe. Whoa. Um, and then uh, when her mom finds out, uh, she has her burn the shoes. And there's a creepy guy named Leroy that's always about that, like, cleans the apartment units and stuff. And he's really weird and creepy. And he suspects that she's a killer. And he figures out that she might have killed Claude with the shoes. And, and he finds them burned up. Uh, so Rhoda burns him up. She, uh, she traps him in the basement and uh, burns him to death. And uh, she's okay with it. She's not upset about it so the mom is like oh and i forgot to mention the woman christine she's kind of like losing her mind throughout the film because it's very upsetting discovering your child is a serial killer um and so she speaks to her father uh about how she's always had suspicions that maybe she was adopted and it turns out christine was adopted she's originally the daughter of an infamous serial killer and now she's like oh my god i've spread these awful i guess serial killer genetics to my child and now she's a serial killer just like my mother was ah so christine comes up with a plan that she is going to kill herself and kill her daughter with sleeping pills because neither of them can continue because you know one's going to be a serial killer and I don't know, Christine just doesn't want to live with that. You know, it's a whole thing. So she goes through with the plan. She gives Rhoda sleeping pills, and uh, Rhoda passes out, and she goes, and this sounds very dark, but it's got a lighter tone, I swear. And she goes into her room, and she shoots herself, but the shot warns the neighbors. So the neighbors come and save them. And uh, it turns out Rhoda is fine. <laughs> and the mom, despite the fact that I don't really know it sounds like she might have shot herself in the head, but she's fine, I guess. She missed her brain. Like, like how bad <laughs> yeah. of a shot do you have to be to shoot yourself in the head and miss your brain? I mean, I don't, I know. don't know. But she has bandages all around her yeah, head. Yeah, she got a little boo-boo on her cheek, yeah. but otherwise she's fine. Her face is fine. She can hold a whole conversation. And... Yeah, they put her on the phone. She's like, <laughs> yep. Hello, I'm fine. But everyone at home, don't worry, because this is... We'll, we'll get into how it's different from its predecessors. But in this film, um, since it was made in 1956 and the production code was still in place, the bad guy cannot get away with the crime because that was just a rule back then to make a movie. You know, the bad guy had to pay for their crime. So Rhoda still like completely fixated on getting this penmanship award. Uh, she... Her mom had originally found it in her room. That's how she know, knew Rhoda was suspicious. But she told Rhoda, like, no, I put it back in the water where the boy's body would have been. So I'm trying to cover your tracks, you murderer child. But Rhoda's still obsessed with it. So she goes to the, the river. But it's, you know, a thunderstorm that night. 
And as she's fishing it out, she gets struck by lightning. And that's, that's her end, but that's not the end of the movie. That's not the end of the movie because they literally say like the end, wait. And then the cast comes on and they introduce the cast and who played what role. And then at the end, the, the woman playing the mom, Nancy Kelly, playfully spanks Rhoda because they want to change. They don't want you leaving here sad. They want you to know that it's okay and that these are actors playing a yep. part. But also that Rhoda did get spanked in the end for her, you know, bad behavior. And that that is the film, The Bad Seed. Very good. <laughs> um, I mean, let's just get into it. We were talking about, like, there's a difference between the source material and the film. Yeah. So here's the thing. I don't know what you guys thought, but in my, in my brain, I thought, okay, even though I know the production code exists, I thought that Rhoda was going to kill Christine. When she was headed out in her, like, raincoat gear, I legitimately was like, oh, she's going to go to the hospital and, like, kill her mom because she's pissed that her mom gave her those sleeping pills. So I was surprised that she was just still fixated on the penmanship award and was going to the river. Um, but the original ending to this whole thing from both the book and the play, which was a hit on Broadway before being made into a movie, is that Christine does die and Rhoda lives and the idea is like and Rhoda lives to kill again oh. and you know her next victim is going to be Monica because she wants Monica's lovebird <laughs> like <laughs> that's how they kind of leave it in the book and the play and I think that's way better <laughs> I really like that ending it's so creepy um because in this one okay so Rhoda dies but now Christine has to live and like what's her future gonna be like what, that was what yeah. I was like. Her husband seems to not mind that she yes. tried to kill their child. Like It's very weird. What do you guys imagine is Christine's future? And what do you think of the ending? I thought the same thing. And also I was watched this a bunch as a kid. Um, I was introduced to this movie when I was like six years old and I was obsessed with it. I don't know what that says about me. But, um, but this is my first time watching it in probably like 10 years. And I this is the first time I really noticed how how void of trauma this man is who has just been put through the absolute ringer with his wife and daughter. And I'm like, he's just like fine at the end. He's like, oh, I'm just happy my wife is here. He's like, great. He's just doing fine. And I was wondering that. I was like, yeah, is she like, does, she, does Christine, is it like a feeling of relief that her daughter, even though she loves her daughter, her daughter was a menace to society. And so is it a relief when Christine finds out that, I don't know. Right? I don't know. It's very dark. Dan, you're the only parent here. Well, the husband, first of all, is the real, like, he, the, it's, he's the real, the tragedy is what happens to him because he's like a square jawed, you know, member of the military. He's not the secret daughter of a serial killer. He's yeah. just a, he's just a good good guy who works for the Air yeah. Force. And this he married this woman who had a problem that she didn't say to him and made him a crazy yeah. daughter and now he's got to deal with it. It's like, come on. You know, we're, you you've got to work this out, you guys. It's not fair. It's not fair to him. To be fair, she didn't know that she was, you know, adopted, which right. is a lot. That's a lot. But it still is her fault, I agree. <laughs> I mean, did it not feel that way that there was like an like an element like like I mean I'm I'm obviously joking around, but like when you first meet the dad, he's like, 
oh, I'm having a great time. I've got this great yeah. family. I'm <laughs> off to the to the Air Force now. Bye. And then like all this crazy shit happens after he leaves. Then he comes back and it's like, oh, just guy can't just be a good dad in the Air Force anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know. It was like this very funny, like very uninteresting subplot of like, who cares about you? Like, but I, but I did feel like there was an element of like the filmmaker being like, this poor guy, man, you know? Yeah, he's yeah. Not, he's not the one who made the bad seed. It's very clear he didn't make the bad seed. She, her, no. her side made the bad seed. He only makes right. good. It only takes one. It only takes yeah. one. Exactly. It only takes one to make any kind of seed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Also, technically, the bad seed, well, he provides the seed if this is the scenario. Right. If seed yeah. equals, sorry for viewers home, if seed equals sperm. Yeah. Wait, but here's one insane thing about the film. I mean, a lot of insane things about the film. But, like, I actually, I should say, I thought this was really good. Like, going into it, Lauren, I thought it was going to be just really campy. Like, I, that's what yeah. I was looking into. Like, I thought it was going to be, like, a creature from the Black Lagoon kind of business, right? Right. But so when it's, a, like, an actually good movie, I was like, oh, God, wow, okay, we've got, like, a play adaptation, and this is pretty solid, and we've got, like, decent actors doing it, and this child actor, Patty McCormick, pulling it off. Yes. Um. So it was, it was great, but, like, the whole idea of, like, eugenics in the past, and, like, that being, like, the theme of the film, where it's basically, like, well... If you are adopted or come from any sort of like mental instability, you should never have kids and you should maybe die. You're like, oh shoot, oh, what kind of message? Well, but but there are but there are like multiple people who are like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Like what the 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 dad? Um, yeah, he's like, this is he calls it hogwash. He's like, come on, this is absurd. And then the, they talk about like the doctor for two seconds at the end. He's like, could that ever be the case? And the doctor's like. I mean, that's insane. Like, he's like, I guess you could have like a one in a million case where maybe that would happen. But like, you know, uh, the, the same odds as getting struck by lightning, right? Uh-huh. Which, thank you for bringing that in. I actually didn't piece that together till right now. Same odds yeah. as being struck oh, yeah. by lightning and then Rhoda gets struck by lightning. But she was also the odds of being one in a million being born She's a psychopath. One in a million. Yeah, she exactly. is the one in a million. Right. Exactly. Great point. Um, also, I love, I feel like they tacked that at the end just because maybe they were watching the film and they were like, oh, we've really made it kind of clear that we're in eugenics here and we don't want to do that. So let's just put this line in really quick with the doctor, add the one in a million things so that, because they even say like, well, children have been being adopted forever and we need children to still be adopted. So please still adopt children. This is one in a million. I kind of felt like that was the, the tacked on mm, moment it, that was necessary. Yeah, there were points where I was like, this whole idea of like, yeah, some people are just bad, you know, they're just bad and um, there's nothing you can do about it. They just get worse. It's like, Ugh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but it's also like, you know, it, it's a it's it's a movie and it's a fairly re- honestly ridiculous movie. So I was like, okay, I can go with this. They did make it plausible, though, with the whole prodigy chat. Like, they were like, well, there's musical prodigies, so why not child murder prodigies? And I was like, actually, maybe. Yeah, what what about (laughs) children who are just really good at murder? It could happen. Yeah, it's one in a million. Rhoda, you're one in a million. She was one in a million twice. She was one in two million. Yeah. Because of the lightning and the psychopathness. Well, I think they were one in the same. It was very, like, she's the one in a million, so of course she gets struck by lightning because like that that was like the exclamation point on it that was like she was the one in a million all right um also had the way you just brought in that lightning thing 
one thing that I realized while watching this was that the end is the beginning. Because at the beginning, when they're showing us the credits, they're showing us the town and there's a thunderstorm and they're playing like the creepy jazzy music that's like, oh, oh, you're watching a thriller. And then it's the lightning and you're, but then the town is normal and it's sunny the next day. So then at the end, you're like, oh, because they were showing us the night of. It was a flash forward credit sequence. I, I really liked how this movie, I think why I've always really liked it is because it feels like a play to me. And what I think is so interesting is that it's so funny because whenever I watched this as a kid, my mom introduced me to this movie. I have not seen Jurassic Park, Star Wars, any classic kids movie from my generation, but I have seen The Bad Seed about 8,000 times. (laughs) Um, But my mom introduced me to this movie and I remember she would always laugh about how kind of over the top... um, Christine's acting was the mom's acting because she's very like and it's great she's honestly giving the performance of a fucking lifetime but she's very dramatic and it wasn't until this viewing that when I was looking her up she is the original actress from the Broadway play and she won a Tony for it and there was apparently like there was even back then there was some negative reviews about how the director of the movie like didn't change any of the performances from the play to the movie and that's why it's so theatrical it is very theatrical and it's those long scenes too i mean it it feels like a series of stage scenes minimal locations but i think that you know you talk about her performance is very good but there's somebody else in the movie um whose performance really every time she was on screen i was like this movie should actually just be named after her character. And I think Wait, you I think it? you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Hortense. Hortense was <laughs> incredible. So good, though actually but so serious, good. But the 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 having the actor play drunk, essentially oh. it was like it was it felt like a modern performance to me. Yes. Like the, it just it feels like it feels like the way that it would have been played, like how a non-drunk person would play it today. This was another thing that was a discovery upon this watching of it is I had such such a strong love for Hortense oh, in this because I, I was watching her and I was like, this is an incredible performance. And especially like it's so hard to play a drunk person. Very few people can pull it off without it looking totally clownish. But even for the time and for how kind of over the top all the acting was, I thought she was so good. Me too. And not sober in one scene. Just putting that out there. She she yes. is drunk Never in every out. scene. And I want to add, yes. Lauren, you had mentioned, um, you know, that Nancy Kelly, the woman playing Christine, she was the original Broadway like character yes. cast playing that. Almost the entire cast was the original Broadway yes. cast. So Hortense, mm-hmm. the actress, her name is um, Eileen Heckert. And yes. she won a Golden Globe for this performance and was nominated yes! for an Oscar. Good. And I agree with Hell you guys. Yeah. She was a scene stealer. But also, also, I loved that this this movie had so many, like, over 40 actresses that were just, yes. like, normal people. So and good. I was yes. so into that. So, like, I mm-hmm. was all into Hortense. I loved Monica. Every, like, yeah. older woman that was in this. You know what? And I'm even going to go with Rhoda. Even, like, young Patty McCormick. Everybody... I really, really enjoyed. And again, I enjoyed Christine too, but she was she was over the top. I, I like the over the top because I love, it adds to campiness. It adds a level of campiness, but. 
Yeah. Anyway, back, let's get back to Hortense and how amazing she is. I'm, I'm sorry I got us away from her. The second time that Hortense enters the scene, I had to go back. I was like, I have to write this down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second time she enters the film, this is what she said. I know you don't want me here, and I don't want to be here, but I can't stay away. So I got a little drunk and came over. <laughs> yes! <laughs> just... Yes. I had to go back. I was like, I got to hear that again. That's just, just a perfect line. And then at one point in the scene, she's like, oh, why don't you believe me? Because I'm lit. Yes. Yes. She said I'm lit. I was like, I did like a double take. I was like, what? Yeah. She's lit, dude. Hortense is lit. <laughs> lit. lit. Oh my God. But also. It blew my mind. The part where she is kind of accusing Rhoda in her drunken yes. state, and she's like, do you really think that your penmanship was better than my son's? Because he won it fair and square, so tell me, did you win it fair and square? <laughs> like, I was like, no, legit question. She may be drunk, but yeah. that's a legit question. When she leaves the end of that second scene, it's just like, from, a, from an actor's standpoint, the choices, she throws her arms around Christine, and she says, you know something, you know something you won't tell me. And then she leaves like it, it's just like very like it's like gripping like because it's like yeah. it, it, it waffles between like totally ridiculous and like deeply serious. Um, so I would I would have called this movie Hortense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it would have absolutely. sold well, too, because I think people would have really understood. They would have said, oh, a movie called Hortense. Wow. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to see that. They would have gotten they it. They would have gotten it. Um, I really liked how Hortense also pointed a lot like this. <laughs> And it was like funny, but also not, it was like, it was so good. She was so good. And I have to say, um, what's the actress who played Christine something Kelly? Oh, Nancy Kelly. Nancy Kelly. She, I will say that that scene where she like really loses her shit after Leroy dies, spoiler alert, I think was phenomenal. It's just that also leading up to that, like from from frame one of the movie, she's like, Rhoda, like everything is so, you know, I was like, we got to like build to that. But either way, I thought she was fantastic. I love her over the top acting. Plus that's also like 1950s acting in general, I want to say. So I feel like that was also yes. just kind of the style. You feel out of place. Yeah, I mean, it was it was obviously dramatic. Uh, Wait, before we leave Hortense. I don't, I, I've talked about Hortense for the rest of this podcast. <laughs> I loved her. She was my favorite part of the movie. When Hortense was like, I can't have another child. So she comes in. She's like a little bit comedic, but it's also tragic. She's got the comedic tragic balance. You're kind of laughing with her one second and crying with her the next. But the part where she talks about how like, I am too old. I can't have another kid. And my kid was wonderful. And when she talks about how her kid genuinely told her that she was the most beautiful mother, and then you see the fake version of that with with Rhoda, and how she does like, you're the prettiest mother, and you see how inauthentic it is, and you're like, oh, that woman lost an actual good child, and what we have left is a monster. Yes. Oh my God, (sighs) you're so right. I never even thought about the the, dichotomy of the two kids telling their mother they're beautiful essentially that's so weird because that's why nancy kelly flinches i think when she does it because she's like thinking about hortense said and then part of me was like wait did rhoda always used to say this is this a new thing was she like listening at the door somehow oh yeah i wonder everyone's thinking about what hortense said everyone in the theater about hortense everybody's (laughs) talking about hortense dude honestly i'm so glad you brought that up because she i was watching that with joey and i was like she's a Astounding. She's amazing. I so into she's, her. You can't take your eyes off her. She's flailing around the stage, the, you know, whatever the <laughs> set. But it is. But but Sarah, no, you're. I mean, it it, it yes, it, it also dips. It obviously she's dealing with 
a horrible tragedy. And it and she did. There were moments where you listen to her and it was unbelievably sad. You know, her husband's doing a good job keeping it together. He's he's gonna say his four lines and and get a paycheck. Um, Good for him. You just hold your hat and stand by the door, okay? We'll cut to you three times. You've got sympathetic man face. What happened doesn't bother you. (laughs) Um. (laughs) And all all you gotta say is just like, Hortense, we gotta go, or something like that. Just each time the camera gets to you, say that. Mm -hmm. Let's leave now. Gently take her by the arm (laughs) and escort her out. You have a frozen burrito at home that you cannot (laughs) wait to get back to. Just get her out of here. Get this lady out of here. Yeah, she was incredible. Uh, okay, so we're talking about these actresses. Can we talk about can we talk about Patty McCormick playing Rhoda? Because yes. Okay, child actors, a good child actor, especially in the past, that's hard to find, right? Yeah. So this kid, I actually didn't look up how old she was at the time, but she had done this on Broadway for like the She was ten. Yeah. Okay, so she was ten during in filming the, or in the movie. <gasps> yes. So she was eight when she did this on Broadway. Maybe if that was two years before. Or maybe it was like the year after that they filmed it. I don't know. Okay, I don't know if she was eight or nine when she did this on Broadway, but she was probably more comfortable with it because she had done so many performances, I guess. But her, like, flips back and forth between the losing her temper, losing her mind, and then being a perfect angel, I was like, ooh, I I like what you're doing, 10-year-old child. Good acting work. I thought she did good. It was, like, a little too good. It was, like, too good where I was like, is she really evil? (laughs) When she would flip back out of it, there's one part where I think it's – Leroy says to her, like, aren't you sad or something? And she goes, why would I be sad? I'm not dead. (laughs) That was like the first moment for me, because like up to then, I'm like, obviously, like, I know what this movie's about. And so I know that she she did it, but I hadn't seen enough yet to be like, like, as like a as if I'm like kind of like an active spectator being like this kid definitely did it. Like up to that point, it was like, well, you know, the kid died. She wasn't that sad. But like right before she comes home, her mom's like, oh, she doesn't have any experience with death. This is going to be so hard for her, which, by the way, is not true because the person in Wichita died. So that's kind of a weird line. But but the mom does say that. She says, like, she doesn't have any experience with with death. This is going to be so difficult for her. And I could absolutely see a child just, like, not wanting to talk about it and just being like, I want to play. So I was like, so her reaction to me wasn't crazy. It wasn't until I heard her be like, what do I care? I didn't die. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, even even then. I was like, well, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Because there was a little part of me, too, that thought maybe Christine was the bad seed. Like, I was like, maybe we're going to get a double twist. Yeah, that would be wild. I mean, I guess at this point, child murderers hadn't really been done. So it had to be the child murderer. But I'm thinking from 2022 where I'm like, we've already heard that story. Where's the twist? So no. That's old news. (laughs) That's old news. So I don't know. I I think like prescribing. I was thinking of um, the Malcolm Gladwell book. uh, Was it Talking to Strangers? You like can never judge people by their reactions to things because it's never a true indicator of what's actually happening. And he cited the Amanda Knox story, um, how like when her roommate was murdered, everyone thought it was her because her reaction wasn't like stereotypically normal, even though she had no connection and wasn't involved at all. People refused to believe that because she was like joking around and like, you know, behaving to them unusually. So I feel like prescriptive behavior is like never a real sign. So it's hard yeah. to tell. Like, you don't know how a kid is going to take something. You don't. Right. And yeah. so I wasn't going to judge her then. Plus, I loved I loved all the sassy strength, if I'm being totally real. Anytime <laughs> a character has a great comeback, I'm usually in their corner. Um, yeah. Plus, Leroy was really creepy. When she says to Leroy, she's like, so why don't you go away and let me do my puzzle? <laughs> 
when he came up to her and he was like, I see you playing with your little table and your little dishes. And she was like, yeah. dude. Like, I'm trying to have an imaginary tea party, you stupid man. Uh-huh. Get out of here and let me do my 40-piece puzzle. It did seem like a puzzle that was too easy for her, too. <laughs> she was struggling. She was struggling. Literally five pieces. Yeah. That's a baby puzzle. So wait, do you yeah. guys want to talk about... Um... Four tens? <laughs> wait, there's two things I want to make sure we talk about. One, I feel like this movie was kind of like, we're supposed to be in Nancy Kelly's shoes, the, the Christine character, and we're supposed to be like, well, what would you do if your child commits an atrocious murder? Because what's interesting about this is that they reveal she's the murderer with like 40 minutes left to go. So you're like, oh shoot, where can this go from here? We know she murdered a bunch of people. What are we going to do now? And so the way it builds from there, but the way the mother's like, well, I guess I'm on your side and I'm going to be an accomplice. Um, I didn't see that twist coming, but I also feel like the theme of the movie was kind of like, well, parents, what would you do if your child was a murderer? So Daniel, what would you do if your child was a murderer? I mean, like the moment when she like puts it together and she's like, go put the shoots in the incinerator right now. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what you would do. Really? You would help your child hide a murder? I mean, yeah, probably. I, mean, <laughs> I don't yes. want them to go to jail. Like, that's if, true. and if they've already like, I mean, the, the real question is, is like the thing that this movie doesn't really. Um, and when you talk about like eugenics, it's like the thesis of this movie is like some people are bad. There's no coming back from it. So if yeah. you have a person that's bad, they're going to be bad forever. And you got to figure out how you're going to live with that. You know, whereas like, you know, in reality, if say this was reality and you find out that your child did actually kill this child for their penmanship award, you maybe justify it to yourself. You say, all right, you know what? My kid got away with this one. I'm not sure how, but they seem to have pulled a fast one on everybody. No one's knocking down the door. Hortense is just drunk all the time. I think we can play this off. Um, burn the shoes and we're gonna we're gonna move. First of all, we're leaving <laughs> town. And then second of all, we're gonna figure this out and we're gonna get you back on a on a better path. Would you be concerned though that your kid would murder you? Because that was my fear for her also. Yeah. Was like clearly one day you're gonna do something your kid doesn't like. Are they gonna murder you next? Well, but she doesn't. And she also never even insinuates that she's going to. Like the next victim is gonna be Monica she seems to have a different sort of relationship. Like she's manipulative, mm -hmm. but she doesn't seem to have the, the intention of, of killing her parents at all. It's funny. Cause like, I did feel like she did love her mother. Like, even though they're like, you're the prettiest mother. Like, even though that stuff was totally like manipulation, like I do think she loves her mother and I don't think she would hurt her. Yeah. Burn the shoes. Get the, put the shoes in the incinerator as fast as possible. You got anything else? Do you have anything else that, that implicates you? Put that in there too, okay? Burn it. We'll deal with the rest of this later. Yeah, I think so. Oh, I think that's God. I really liked that turn when she went from, like, what's going on to, to put, get the shoes in the incinerator. Like, I thought that was a really, a very realistic and a very well, well-played turn. Yeah. She really loved her daughter. Like, really. Yeah. yeah. It's complicated. Well, and I was also judging her, if I'm being totally real, I was just judging her parenting a little bit throughout. Like, I don't like to judge parents. I know how hard it is being a parent. But, like, she, well, I don't know. Okay. You, you have authority in this situation. So, like, there's a part where she kept being like, Rhoda, tell me the truth. And yes. Rhoda kept lying. She's like, I know you're an adroit liar. Now tell me the truth. And I was like, girl, she's not going to tell you the truth. But the father is really the one who could get the, you know, and, and that's what's so sad is that he's not there. 
because he's such a good dad. Like we know he's such a good dad. He's the best dad. But he wasn't there. He was too busy saving the world. And his name is Kenneth. And his name was Kenneth. He's just a Kendall. When she calls him at the end, she like picks up the phone at one point and she's like, hello, I I need to call Washington DC. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, oh, wow, it's just like, it's like me every time I call home. That's it. I go through the exact same thing. <laughs> that phone call was so weird because it's like, unless I forgot, it seems like she's she doesn't qualify any more than that. She's just like, I need to talk to Washington, D.C. And then she's like, never mind or something like that. <laughs> I think she says his name, too, or something. In the old days, you just said the state and then you said like some combination of like, Berkshire's 527 and they were like oh you want to talk to Don and they just you know they just they just do there was only one yeah, yeah there was like 20 people in the world there was, at that well there's only like five Dons with a telephone you know right, so right I like that she was going to share her child's murder over the phone but wait I do want to get back to a parenting choice that she does make because when mm-hmm. she finds the medal and she's like well what are we going to do and I was like wait when your daughter says she's not going to give it back, you literally have the authority to be like, well, I'm going to give it back yes. because that's the correct thing to do. So I'm, I'm, I was always like, Christine, do something. Because she, yeah. she doesn't seem to understand that she does have authority as a parental figure. But Christine is the daughter of a serial killer. She's a bad, she is, you said, saying, was she going to be the bad seed? She is a bad seed too. She's carrying bad seed. So I think that that is part of like, she's in between the bad seed and the like, you know, the the normal life, right? So like, it's kind of like her story is watching her struggle with, am I gonna go bad or am I gonna try and take this thing back on the straight and narrow? Well, and I do think now that we're talking about it, she's probably the opposite of her mother, right? So she has these memories that she doesn't totally understand, that she doesn't even know if they're real or a dream. And so it's like her mother was very violent, so she's the complete opposite of that. So I guess that's how she parents too. She can't even confront her child. She can't even have any sort of like assertion for herself. So yeah, maybe that's what it is. It's like, oh my God, you guys, wait. Oh, and I just realized, so she was the daughter of a serial killer and she can't even like kill properly because she doesn't actually kill her child properly and she doesn't kill herself properly. So it's gone that far that she's so opposite from her family that even when she tries to be a killer, she can't do it. Wow. She's caught in the middle. She's caught in the middle. She can't go one way or the other. That's such a good point. I never thought of that. Here's what I also want to talk about because Lauren, you know this film really well. As someone who watches this film a lot, what are some of your favorite creepy details? Oh my gosh. Well, like I said, it's been a while since I've watched this again. I think the cellar is creepy. Like cellars, basements, like anything like that to me is very creepy. So like the fact that Leroy, who is set up, and yes, he's he's a problematic character, but he's set up to be this like very creepy, scary man. And the fact that he like lives in this kind of like dungeon type place kind of adds to that or I think they're intending that to add to it well and I don't think I just want to clarify I don't think he lives there I think he really does have a home and family but he has like made a secret bed so he can nap at work that he's made out of excelsior Excelsior. which I was like what a great way to say straw excelsior (laughs) um so yeah it's like he's napping on the job but he chooses to nap in a dungeon on excelsior yes yes um I also think but see this is stuff that i'm like i don't know if it's intentionally creepy or if i just find it creepy but like the repetitive piano song 
which is really repetitive. And then it comes back every so often and it gets really, it gets faster every time. Like, I think that's super creepy. And I just think like her, her pristine appearance is very creepy. Her perfectly done braids that I like could not stop looking at. Cause I was like, how'd they get her hair like that? It's like so perfect. That to me is also, there's like something off. It's like uncanny Valley or something. It's like a little off. She also like, she's like blindingly white. Like I realized in, in one scene where Christine is wearing like a, like a black, you know, uh, dress, I guess, or something. And, and I was just like, God, this kid is like, she's like the sun in this scene. Like, you have like she's so bright. I read something about this, that because she was older, quote unquote, she was 10 years old when she was supposed to play an eight-year-old, that to make her look younger, they whitened, they like put a ton of like white powder on her face and made her look paler because young kids are paler. I don't know if that's a thing, but that's what they said. No, that's insane. Uh, that, oh. That's that's like 1950s movie. I mean, I, I don't doubt that it's real. Yes, but, that, yeah. but the idea that you would have to like take extra steps to age a 10 year old down to yeah. eight is psychotic. And they like, it said that they put her in like slightly oversized dresses. So that it made her look smaller. And I was like, yeah, guys, I don't think you need to do this. Totally unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It has to be real. <laughs> It, it has to be real. Let's run the scene again where uh, where Christine just, you know, freaks out the whole time. Yeah. Thanks for bringing all those in. I didn't notice the white thing, but also that reminds me of what they did to Lana Turner in The Postman Always Rings Twice, how to make Lana Turner look like less sexy and more innocent. That was what they did. They put her wow. in white. And guess what? It didn't work. She was still Lana Turner and was like very sexy. But this this child, I don't know if it made her look younger or not. I don't know if that's... I, I thought she looked... Yeah pristine because yes. they do the perfect her dresses her bow was always the most perfect bow you've ever seen yeah um in the back but i one of the things that i loved was like the little wistful weird kid things that they would add to so like you i was obsessed with the music when they were doing her little weird piano thing and they'd play it really quick in the background but then she'd be doing stuff to that so like the one scene where she's leaving the house and she's got the flashlight and the raincoat and they're playing that creepy yes. piano song and she's like clanging the flashlight along the uh the fence so like little kid things but then made super creepy or like when she's doing that skip with her scuffing of yes, her feet. So creepy. you're like this is creepy why is this creepy? creepy and then when you find out so when she gets home and she puts on new shoes and she starts clicking them together and you find out later that she murdered the kid with her other shoes and that's why she needed these new shoes and she's still clicking her shoes together it's like these creepy little kid things that get extra meaning when you're like oh, the horror behind them totally yeah and it's it's pretty intricately done the sudden mood swings are great we mentioned them earlier but her like quick shifts to the way she tries to manipulate her family so she'll lose her temper the part where she lost her temper at leroy i believed her she was really upset yep. but the way she can flip on a dime and like put on this mask so quickly and the way that sometimes like towards later in the film we can really see it's a mask but how she as like a child actress somehow knows the difference between like the perfect mask and then She'll do the perfect mask thing and it'll feel creepy, but then sometimes she'll do the perfect mask and it doesn't feel creepy. And I feel like the 10 year old actress understands which ones are creepy and which ones aren't and which ones are manipulative and which ones aren't. Well, I guess it's all manipulative. Well, yeah, but it, and it's also through a child's perspective. So Leroy says to her, he's like, oh, the police got magic powder. They'll put it on the, they got a stick smelling dog. 
And then they'll put the powder on the stick and the blood turns blue. And she's like, oh, are you serious? Are you for real right now? Like, yeah, but that's and that's children. I mean, a child will absolutely if you sit there and like do make put that whole story together, a child will be like, is that real? Is that yeah. we do? Is there is there blue? Does blood, and then she asks her mom later. She's like, can, can blood turn blue if with police powder? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like, like, what are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> like, that was just, that was very funny to me. Just that she like she's like this mastermind, you know murderer but she's also an eight-year-old child and also the fact of like that too plus not being able to tell a true scenario and not being able to think ahead so she's all into these objects that she can get not thinking about the bigger picture so like if she kills monica tomorrow for the bird she's not thinking about how monica's constantly giving her gifts and how she won't have a monica after right she's so like now is the only moment because I'm a kid. But then she, when Leroy is messing with her, she can't tell the difference between Leroy messing with her and Leroy telling the truth yeah. because she doesn't have like the sophistication yet of understanding when people are joking with you or messing yeah. with you, right? To be fair, I couldn't tell either. I was just like, what's this guy's deal? Yeah, like, he was really just, intense. Just like, relax, she's eight. You know, like, what is that? I'm on to you. It's like, what? What is it? Relax, dude. You got your own issues. I did write a note that I was like, well, I guess if Leroy was the next victim, I wouldn't be that sad. I did write that. Yeah. Because it's true. He's the only person that you're like, well, he was terrible. So it's, you know, it's yeah. sad, but. He was right, though. He was right. He was right. right. He was correct. Okay, this is a side note. I am not a horror person either. I don't like scary movies. But I love this movie because they don't show anything scary. You ju- they just suggest it. Are you going to talk about Leroy's death scene? Yes. It's hilarious. No, it's sad. It was so funny. No, it, it's just like this wild screaming for a long time. And then, and then Nancy Kelly just goes, it's too late. And then she has a breakdown. Which is but they, phenomenal. But they hold on her while he's ostensibly, you know, on fire Dying. running out of the basement. And she's just like, what? What are you? What are you all? Is everyone, what? Like yeah. it's like a long, it's like a twenty second shot of her just being like, "Oh, this is so bad." I really appreciate that because I'm like, "That's great." Whatever you have to do to not let me see that poor man on fire is great. But also, it seems like the characters, because we don't see the poor man on fire, it like doesn't affect the characters as much. So everyone's judging Nancy Kelly for freaking out after seeing a human body on fire when it seems like her reaction's the only normal one. Monica's fine. She's like, oh, that's that's sad. And she goes on. I was like, I would be freaked out if I saw that. I'm with Nancy Kelly. I wonder if that reaction is also because Monica is so mean to Leroy because she looks at him as like a non-person because he like sweeps the floors. Yeah, she hates him. Like the first, like the scene where like Rhoda walks outside, he like sprays her shoes. Yes. And she's like, you are, let me, you, you are the worst person on earth. You, you need to stop. You need to die now. And he's like, <laughs> it was an accident. And she's like, if I could push you, if I could put you in a car, put a cinder block on the gas and drive you off a cliff, I would do it right now. And then yeah. Christine's like, all right, chill, chill. Like, it's, it's fine. It's, even if it was on purpose, who cares? Like, yeah. she just like, it just takes nothing for her to be like, I would bury you alive. So yeah. Like, Jesus, lady. Monica's so intense with him. But that's also the first time we see Rhoda being really manipulative, that scene. Because uh, Nancy Kelly's character, Christine, she's like, oh, don't fire him. And Rhoda's like, no, you should. And then Monica's like, yeah, I should. And you're like, oh, shoot. She's really, Rhoda has influence here. So that's the first time. 
that you see that. That wasn't really how that scene went down. That was like subtext for how the scene went down. That was pretty close. <laughs> in there. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, I do want to also shout out. I loved the glasses that she put on in the beginning. The sunglasses. The, to me, that was another like creepy moment of like yes. she puts on these star-studded sunglasses, and it reminded me of um, Leave Her to Heaven, which also has like an evil, evil villain that's a woman, and then it also has like a drowning scene too. Of it, like she's wearing sunglasses and watching someone drown and being like, "Oh, sorry, I can't help you." So Whoa. that was very similar to. I feel like that was. Um, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but that's what it felt like to me. It was a callback in my head. Wow. And I wonder, too, if, like, the sunglasses are some sort of, like, symbol, too, where it's, like, they're covering, like, you know, she's, like, hiding who she truly is. And, like, your eyes can usually give things away. And it's, like, hiding it and hiding it behind, like, something sparkly and nice to look at. That is all her. Perfect on the outside, rotten on the inside. Yeah. Wait, can yeah. I also ask a question? Yes. Um, Dan says no. Um, <laughs> what? What is a psychiatry club? And was that something that everyone did back then? No. Yeah, that's that's just a cool <laughs> club of cool people sitting around being cool, talking about just being like the coolest, most awesome people, especially Tasker. Tasker, yes. Just the coolest guy. You hear them. You hear Monica talk about it, and she's like, "Well, I have to get ready for my psychiatry club." And then they cut to the psychiatry club, and it's just Monica, Christine, and two men. And two, two old men. Who know nothing about psychiatry. It's also psychiatry from the 50s, so it's, like, not real psychiatry. It's, like, yeah. 1950s Freudian psychiatry. Some people are bad. Some people are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just how it is. And, like, the word association stuff. And I'm oh like, don't God. do this to Christine. You don't have a license to practice medicine. Stop trying to psychoanalyze her. It is yeah. so funny how, like, this happens a lot in movies from this era. But, like, when you need to, like, get a massive plot point in there, the way that they just shoehorn it and they do it in this movie with the adoption thing where they like they they plant the seeds in the absolute most obvious way (laughs) yeah like you're like oh okay they brought up this serial killer and then this person says she thinks maybe she was adopted wow where's this going and then when she eventually figures it out it's not like her her dad is in the room and like could be like look there's something i have to tell you but like instead she's like Oh, I'm having a vision. I remember. Uh, oh, it was the person. And it's like, what? It's just a weird way, a natural way to have somebody come to a realization. Well, because it did two things, though. Because it had her, like, you know, have the, oh, I might be adopted thing. But then it also showed us the thing about people's names. Because they really wanted us to know, like, your name is something here. And so, like, breed love. And it also made like a dirty joke, which is amazing that it got through the censors where they're like, Monica's been spread out on couches from New York to Los Angeles. And you're like, oh, shoot. And she's like, I married my husband for love and for, you know, the first word, need I say more? And it's breed. And so you're like, oh, dang. So, yes, they do touch on that. But then Christine's last name is Penmark and her daughter is obsessed with the Penmanship Award. Oh, I was like, whoa. Yeah. And then hmm. Daigle, I was trying to think if that meant anything. It rhymes with bagel. <laughs> oh, that's so interesting when you think about it. Huh. Hortense, <laughs> of course. Uh, the name meaning I've, all, like, I, all I can think of is like an animated cow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, she comments on their names. She's like, you're na- you would be a Christine. You're beautiful. My name is Hortense. And I, should, I think she even says, she's like, that's fat. a fat name. Yeah, she goes, it's fat. Oh, my-, my name is fat. 
Oh my god. But then Christine's name isn't even really Christine. Her real name is like something totally random that I had never heard. No, it's Bessie's like, uh, her Ingo. mom. Ida. Ingo. Yeah. What is Ingo a name? Never heard of it before. Well, an, an ingot is a is a gold brick, isn't it? It's gold. So I mean, I don't know if I'm I'm grasping at straws here, but if it is related to that word, then there's a sort of material. Her, you know, her daughter is always is driven by material objects. Um, Whoa, Daniel, wow, this is too so, deep. Well, but I'm 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 guessing. What what Ingo was the name? Ingo. Oh, and also the psychology interest brought in a third aspect, which was her having pills on her. So that's I think why they had to make it psychiatry. It was like the the adoption thing, the names, and then her being like, I have these sleeping pills, you know, because I'm into psychiatry. Here. Wow. Oh, and on a side note, I wrote that uh, I really did notice the creepy doll. Rhoda, going to bed, had a very creepy doll. Oh, sure. And I was like, well, you would. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, you know, interestingly enough, yeah, it was a creepy doll. But that's also sort of, I feel like, just like what dolls look like from that era. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like my mom still has one of her dolls from that era. And I was, it's like, you know, the dolls from that era, by today's standards, they look a little quite the same but it was creepy though i mean i think it was lit in a it, well first of all it was lit like hortense but also <laughs> it was it was lit like in like a creepy way i feel like i also wanted to just like share another fun thing that i liked in this film i was noticing that people would like touch each other weird so obviously we have the very clear face touching of like you're the prettiest mother everybody loves you right we've got that but then what i was noticing is um Rhoda didn't know how to hug people right. She was hugging like a T-Rex a lot. And I was like, was that on purpose? But a lot of people were doing it. No one, there's only one hug that I saw where everyone, someone put their entire arms around someone else. All the hugs were little T-Rex arm hugs. Mm. I didn't notice that. Was that on purpose? I don't know. All I'm saying is look out for the T-Rex hugs. The name is literally in gold. <gasps> I-N-G-O-L-D. Wow. So, so it's possible that that's, what they were going for with that material possession. Whoa. So wait, are they saying then, so her name was the material uh, thing, but she cha it, it is Christine. And so if her real name was Ingold, that's passed down to her kid, like the obsession with materialness. Yeah, because that's who she really is. <gasps> Ingold Whoa, Dan. Well, who knows, but maybe. And her daughter is obsessed with material things. Ooh. Yes, more. It's, yeah. a, it's from the uh, to rule. Oh, damn. Oh, shoot. That's what it says here. Oh, my God. And to rule, it's like the genetics. So what they're trying to say is like those genes rule. The serial killer genes. Yeah, probably. Rule. Not that I believe in that. Oh, that's fun. People at home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's clarify. We should clarify at some point that we don't <laughs> really support eugenics. Don't support eugenics <laughs> oh even a time. Time for us to say something. <laughs> I think a lot of people are probably I must assuming. speak up. Yeah. yeah, at the top of the episode, you should be like, trigger warning, someone is self-harming, and also trigger warning, we talk about eugenics. I think it's high time that us three Jews all admit that we <laughs> don't care for eugenics. we <laughs> got to make it clear at some point during this show, or yeah. people are going to get the wrong idea. Also, the title of this does imply, like, breeding and eugenics anyway. Bad seed. Yes. It implies both gardening and... Eugenics. Classic pairing. Absolutely. Um, we have not talked about Mervyn Leroy yet, and I want to talk about him. And I actually think that's why they were calling the one character whose name looks like Leroy. I think they were calling him Leroy because the director's name was Mervyn Leroy, I think. That's my yeah. thesis. I think you're right. I was wondering that. So I was listening to this interview that he did, and he... So 
Uh, Mervyn Leroy was like a prolific director for a very long time. He... Uh, just for, like for starters, one of the biggest things he ever did, he wasn't just a director, he was also a producer, and he literally produced The Wizard of Oz. That's like him. Wow. He's the one that was like, I want Judy Garland, not Shirley Temple, I say it's her. Wow. <laughs> and then he also like, I listened to this interview with him, with him where he talked about that, and he was like, and then I had her fix her teeth, and I was like, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so, you know, he had her teeth filled in. And he also gave Clark Gable his first screen test ever, for Little Caesar and then didn't choose him because he thought his ears were too big. I like oh that. Oh my God. So he's like, oh gee, there in the beginning, like directing in the early 1930s. Um, Lauren and I, we both have a connection with him that you don't even know about yet. He was the director of the film version of Gold Diggers of 1933, which we were obviously both in in college. I was oh, in that as well. Oh, sorry. How could I forget that you were also in yeah. Gold Diggers of 1933. <laughs> I, was, I had a I had a speaking part. <laughs> Damn. I don't remember what the character's name was, but I was in it. I don't remember what my character's name was either. I don't I don't remember what mine was. <laughs> Daniel, I'm sorry. She, wow, you had a, the real part. Daniel oh, and I had supporting roles. No, no, I had a good part no, in Dan, that show. Dan had a big part. Dan had a big part. <laughs> I had a real role in that show. So like the sorry. last one I did. <laughs> I remember almost nothing about that play except that they had special rings put in so i could do like a gymnastics move yes that that's was right sorry that was all i remember that? from that play yeah, what was that? yeah sorry diane. diane was diane has a had a reverse sneeze where she was oh gosh um but yeah that's right the gymnastics and it was like three and a half hours long it was a very long play not long enough um daniel i'm so sorry that i forgot that you were in gold diggers in 1933 <laughs> That is okay. He's like, I had a lead role. I did have a lead role, I, I, but I'm sitting here telling you that I don't remember what my character's name was. Uh, I couldn't tell you the plot of that show, and I was in it. Yeah, I don't remember either. No. Um, yeah, I'd have to look this up. Avery Avery Hopwood. Avery Hopwood. Do you remember at the end of Gold Diggers, do you remember when we did our curtain call? Everyone came out, bowed, did their curtain call. And then we all parted, oh and the huge picture of Avery Hopwood came down, and we all just went. We pointed at it. I forgot. Yes. We did do that. I, I had no recollection of any of this, but it does sound familiar. He was an amazing playwright. I remember every night standing next to Nick Lang and us just silently laughing under our breath, just being like, what are we doing? Anyway, that was a side note. Um, but so he directed that. So he was a director throughout like, you know, the 1930s. He, uh, he also directs um, Madame Curie, Million Dollar Mermaid, the Esther Williams musical, Mr. Roberts, um, and Gypsy. So he has like a really... He directs films from like the early 30s till the late 60s, um, but he's not considered, people are kind of rude about it. He's considered like an entertaining director, but not like an artistic director. He was very much all about the story and the story mattered to him the most. And he was like, I don't care about fancy camera angles. I just want to tell a good story. And I was like, yeah, I got respect for that. You know, I got hey, respect yeah. for you being like, I just want people to enjoy their time at my movie. Sure. Like, yeah, I feel that. Because, um, yeah, towards the end of his life, especially, people were kind of rude about him. Oh. About like, how he wasn't a real, like, artistic uh, tour. And, you know, he made wow. movies for the masses. How dare he? And I'm like, I whatever. <laughs> he did a good job. Leave him alone. 
So he was very like uh, into quality and authenticity. And he like I was listening to this um, interview with him from 1974. And he's just like, he sounds a little gruff at first, but all of his ideas are so sweet. Like he was like, films should be a wonderful place. Like film sets, everyone in the the film set is important and everyone should feel like they belong. And actors should come to work every day and love it because you're creating that environment for them. Oh my God. And like, yeah. And uh, he wrote, everyone should, ha should be passionate about what they're doing. And that's how you cast people. That's how you know, like they'll be the right fit for it. No wonder the industry was like, this guy's gotta go. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And he was talking about like how much he loved Irving Thalberg, who was like one of the head guys at MGM who passed away crazy young. And he was like, what I loved about him was he would he was always about making things better, but not from a negative perspective. So he'd come oh. in and he wouldn't tear you down or criticize you. He'd always every time he said something, it was to make something better. And he talked about what it was like in the olden days in terms of not that people were being treated very well, but that it wasn't like corporations running things. It was people just like genuinely wanting to make the best movie that they could. Yeah. Corporations are people too. Well, corp <laughs> I think corporations are the only people actually. At this point, they're the only people left. And the movie is Marvel. Yeah, <laughs> all the movies, every single one. Star Wars, there's also, oh yeah, Star Wars. There was also something that I thought too, and I don't know if this is just like, because it's like back in the day, or if, if this was even a thing that they did back in the day, but this movie was, unique for it but i loved that because this would never happen in 2022 that they took the cast from the play and just put them in the movie and just said like do whatever you do in the play that you do so well and just do it in the movie i'm like oh my god that would never happen every single one of those people would have been fired immediately and replaced with some either famous tiktoker or like some young hot famous person addison ray as <laughs> christine <laughs> Logan Paul as <laughs> Kenneth. I don't even know who those people are. And I think that tells you something about my interests. Can Video you game donkey as Tasker. <laughs> That's what it would be though. That is what it would be. Yeah. But, and he has like, he makes the casting choice. Because like that's what he does, but he clearly is like they're passionate about this. That's important, and I think the story will be told better this way. And he has enough influence to get it through. God, it's like what an idea. He also likes things to look real in terms of the set. So I don't know. I don't know if it did feel real to you, but he had like the advice: don't make anything look like a set. Make me believe it is what it is. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I feel that. In was this way. Warner Brothers? This movie. This was Warner Brothers. Well, that was the Warner lot, I think, that where the, did you recognize it too? I mean, it looks exactly the same now. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't yes. It? In the first shot of the movie, both Joey and I were like, oh my God, that's like, that's gotta be the it's, Warner Brothers lot. It's Stars Hollow. Oh my God, it was Stars Hollow? And it looks the same. Yeah, it's Stars, and they haven't changed wow. it. I mean, it's yeah. wild. Yeah. Yeah, because we're like, yeah, there's the gazebo in the center. It's, yeah. It's wild. To well, where was that. that water feature? Yeah, that I don't know. Oh, I don't know. That looked like a soundstage. They flew that in. So in this interview, he talked about his own history, Mervyn Leroy did. The way he got into Hollywood was he did vaudeville for a while. He was an actor on vaudeville and had a vaudeville partner. And then his vaudeville partner's father died, so they broke up the act. And he was like, but then I realized I wasn't good at acting. So I wrote to my cousin, Jesse Lasky, who's like a famous, he helped found Paramount. And he Whoa. was like, hey, uh, can I get a job? And Jesse Lasky was like, no, I don't like to hire family members. So I don't really want to hire you. And plus it will only hurt you. Like, don't 
say you're my cousin. So I guess what he ended up doing was like writing him a letter of reference, but not like saying he's my cousin. And then um, Mervyn Leroy like went to the studio and was like, look, I have a letter of reference. And so they put him in, um, in the, he was a wardrobe folder. Like that was his job. He folded people's wardrobe and then they moved him to, um, to doing like uh, on night camera shoots. He was a quote unquote washer for that. He did washes uh, of like the day to night shoots. So like that was, he would do the filter or whatever. And then that got him into camera work. And then sometimes he acted uh, randomly. Like he was Gloria Swanson's brother in the prodigal daughter. Um, so he was doing mm. all of these things on film sets and like learning how to make films that way. And that's how he eventually got his big break, like being a director. Um, wow. And then from that point on, he was just a director. And he always liked to have scripts read to him as opposed to reading them because he said he could picture the story in his head if it was read to him. I get that. Wow. Yeah. So he was like an auditory processor. And he says that he was responsible for keeping Somewhere Over the Rainbow in The Wizard of Oz because I, they wanted to cut it. And he was like, no, that's the heart of the piece. And guess what? It is. He was right. You hear about that, like, all the, like, what's the one that they wanted to cut from, uh, like, they wanted to cut part of your world, I think, from uh, Little Mermaid? Mermaid. What? Yeah. It's one of those. It's it's either that or, I think if you watch that movie, it's on Disney+, Plus. uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. When I worked on a cruise yes. ship, it was like one of like the three movies on the cruise ship channel. And it was the only one that I could just watch. A friend of <laughs> mine and I used to just, whenever it was on, we'd be like, do you want to watch it? Like, yeah, okay, well, and we'd watch like the whole thing. Um, so I've seen it a number of times. And I'm pretty sure that they fought Howard Ashman on Part of Your World. And it was the same thing. It was like, yeah, but that's the, why you root for the character. Like, yes. it's just such a, like, a no brain. It's like, we got to cut somewhere over the rainbow. Look, no, it doesn't matter. We don't need to like Dorothy. We, what we need is to see, you know, the the bricks are yellow. People are going to go nuts. They never seen anything like that. We got the horse. We got lighting for the horses. We got to get to the horse scene. Yeah. It's like, you obviously need that song. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank Mervyn Leroy. It's nice to know that like studios have been kind of like having bad opinions since the dawn of time <laughs> since forever mm-hmm. since the beginning yeah um, mm-hmm. yeah because yeah uh wizard of oz would have starred shirley temple and that song wouldn't weird. exist <laughs> weird that would be so weird um and i have a quote that he said i don't want to make art i want to make entertainment something that the public enjoys <laughs> and i wrote down that quote that's nice so that was mervyn Leroy. do we do we cover everything that we want to talk about I thought it was really funny when the girl at the beginning was at the picnic was like, everybody stay away from the water, okay? You can't go to the water. It was just like, yep, there it is. 50s watching children. Like, just announced to the children, no one in the water now. And and so then when the kid died, I I wanted that character to come back and be like, I told everyone not to go in. Yeah. Uh, she also said boat weird. She was like, don't go to the boot house. And I was like, what word was that? What did you say? Yeah. They just didn't understand Back you. Back in those days, you could pronounce words differently and people <laughs> thought it was cool. What else? Oh, the teacher, like Miss Miss Fern, like when she comes, like, first of all, I thought it was really funny when, when she was like, oh, that was a perfect curtsy. And then uh, Christine's talking to her and she's like, is everything she does always as perfect as that curtsy? And like, I wanted Fern to be like, yeah, I just said that to make her, she's a child, you know? <laughs> like, like, it was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not critiquing the curtsy, but obviously it wasn't flawed. Like, um, and then when Fern, when Miss Fern comes to her house, like the second time, like the conversation is so weird. Cause she's like, 
yeah, I think maybe, um, you know, maybe this kid, maybe your daughter had something to do with this. Uh, I think maybe she did it. And then Christine's like, oh, do you think she did it? She's like, no, I don't think that. That what you, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I would never say that. But I do think that maybe she, hey, you should smile more. You look nice when you smile. It's like, this yeah. is a weird. She's all over the place. Yeah. All over the place. I was like, hey, this woman is, would be, I don't, would not want my kid in a school with this woman. Yeah. Also, I love that the mom was asking, like, this is the end of the year. The whole year has gone by. Has none of this ever come up before? Where she's right? like, is she popular? And I'm like, don't you have parent-teacher conferences yeah. or something? I don't know. You could have talked about this before. Right. Today. Yeah. And right. is she the only teacher at the school? It's obviously named after her. But, like, it seemed like there were a lot of kids who went to the school. I don't know. The whole issue, I was like, I wouldn't be saying I think the real school. issue here is that... Rhoda doesn't get enough one-on-one -on -one attention from Miss Fern, which is why she acts out like this. Well, the moral of this, I agree with you, Lauren, and I think the moral of this story is schools should not be giving awards for things like penmanship. Well, that's another good point. You know, if, if there's no penmanship award, then none of this happens. Exactly. We haven't, like, broken down her murders yet, and I kind of want to break down the murders real quick. <laughs> Please. Okay, so murder number one. They live in Wichita because I guess the U.S. Air Force Base is there. And so, you, Daniel, you mentioned this earlier. She's like, she's never experienced death. What a lie. Yeah. She has experienced death because she killed her babysitter, her elderly woman babysitter. Yes. It was like, hey, if I die, you can have this cool snow globe. So, oh, I didn't connect the snow globe either. So snow globe, ice, right? So she gets the cool snow globe and she kills the lady on ice. Because she's on stairs that are slippery with ice. And she, what I was imagining was she fake slipped and pulled the lady down with her. Was that what you were picturing? Yeah, that's kind of what she says, right? She's like, what happened with that woman? And she yes. goes, she slipped on the stairs. But um, she, she slipped because <laughs> I pushed her. Like, it's so, it's, it's terrific. It's one of the best moments. And the part where she goes, well, yeah, I, I killed her. But, like, she did this bad thing to me. You know, and, and her brain's always like, well, they deserved it. Or, like... I needed this thing. Don't you see my side of it? Duh. And her mom goes, do you realize you murdered him? And she goes, well, it was his fault. Yes. That's always how she like handles it, which is very much a personality disorder. Yeah. I didn't drown. I think, but that's the, okay. That was the creepiest part to me. So I, we also need to break down this murder. So the murder of Claude Daigle, this is what's going on. She wants that penmanship award. She feels like she should have it because she wants it. Period. Doesn't even matter if her penmanship is good. She wants the award. So she keeps like trying to bully him all day he won't give her the award she corners him when he tries to hide from her in the boathouse she's like give me that award he's like no she starts beating him with her shoe leaving crescent shaped marks on him he gives her the award and then she kills him because she's worried he'll tell on her so he yeah. does give her the award she just doesn't want anyone to think anything badly of her and so then when he falls, he falls into the water, he's trying to climb out of the dock and she keeps beating his hands with her shoe so he'll let go of the dock. Yeah. Thereby drowning. Terrible. Terrible. Really good writing because there's no gray area. She really had to commit to this a hundred and ten. It's like there are so many opportunities for her to not go all the way with this mm -hmm. yeah and she goes 150 percent oh. with it and then when she's telling her mom she keeps trying to hug her and hold her and distract her and her mom's like stop it continue to tell me about your murder and then in the end she's like well he wouldn't give me the medal like i told him to that's right. all it's like so like duh 
And then I wrote fabulous tantrum scene because she throws a tantrum right at that point too. Yes. And it's like the, the watching the flip, the switch back and forth between the violence and not violence, the psycho and the sweet. That was a good, a good moment. It was awesome. And then it led into Christine's moment, as we mentioned earlier, of being like, well, how, what am I going to do now? How am I going to handle this? <sighs> I'm on her side. Okay, accomplice and go. Burn the shoes. Um, and then the third murder is Leroy and or Leroy's murder, which we did mention earlier. She has the idea because he, she knows he sleeps in Excelsior in the basement and she thinks he's discovered her shoes, but he hadn't at that point and then does that he had discovered her shoes in the incinerator. Also, how could they not burn all the way up in the incinerator? Yeah. So she lights his Excelsior bed with matches that her mom watched her grab and was like, put those back. And she was like, okay. And then she didn't. She put some back. She puts some back, and then when you see when she shuts the door, she snuck three. That was that was one of those moments where you realize just how psychotic this kid is because she did it. She did a magic trick, basically. Yeah. It was sleight of hand. It looked like she put them all back, but then she reveals that she still has three, and you're like, there's more, far more at work here than than we really yeah. know with this kid. It was very yeah. cool. Yeah, and the, the level of planning. So like, she goes down to the basement, lights the Excelsior on fire while he's sleeping in it, runs up, locks the door, and then goes to play the piano, comes upstairs and starts playing the piano, that creepy, creepy song. Yep. And then Leroy is eventually let out, but it sounds like he is on fire and he does not make it immediately. He dies pretty quick. So those are the murders that she commits. And then, you know, her mom is like, well, she can't live anymore because she's clearly got no empathy and she's going to do it again. So I guess... You know, I got to do it. I got to do something about it. She did promise they won't hurt you, but she didn't say I won't hurt you. Yeah, good point. Yeah, she was protecting. She was, in a way, trying to protect her child. She knew there was nothing good that was going to come in the future. So she read her a real boring book. And, I actually thought know. the book was really cute. It was about Christmas, and I thought, oh, that's a nice book. The first time she was reading to her, was, I don't remember what the story was, but I did write down. I was like, this put me to sleep, that's for sure. <laughs> A boring yeah. book, man. Read the dictionary before bed. We're now in the modern lens portion of the show. What doesn't hold up? Well, a lot, you know, because it's a movie from the 50s. Um, I will say my a couple main ones, like the spanking is weird to see on camera. It's weird to see someone spank a kid on camera. That's sure. weird. Um, I understand what they their intent, why they did that to like lighten the mood and make it fun. But it's weird. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, eugenics we mentioned a lot the idea of of breeding in eugenics and that being your fate is pretty gross and then uh the leroy stuff i he was constantly inappropriate like i kept writing down like yes she's evil but if she wasn't you can't assume a child is evil they're usually yeah. not you're treat you're being really inappropriate with her oh yeah big um, time and even the stuff he was saying about the mom like she's all by herself what if yeah. i come in and you're like ew yeah that was cool that he just like said that and then nothing came of it <laughs> yeah he just they just said we're like why don't we have him say something that like finds the mom sexy we don't have to go back to it but everyone will know he said it and it's like what is that what is he been doing in here like like you said sarah it's like he isn't wrong about anything that he says about her, but he's such a creep. What was the point of him being that creepy, do you think? Like, was that necessary and why? Was it just to, like, confuse you a little bit more about, like, how you should feel? Because, like, he, you know, they're so, like, mean to him that, like, you you can't just have him be, like, totally innocent because I think that would make all of them look too evil. Yeah. So I think it's, like, if they make him also a creep, 
and then Rhoda's reacting with anger or whatever, you kind of see her point. So it's like, it's not as cut and dry. You're right. It makes things more complicated. No one is all good or all bad. Yeah. Everyone's got a little bit of something in them. Except for Christine, who's perfect. Yeah, Christine's flaws and Hortense. It was fun to watch, like, the two of them yell at each other. Yes. They're, like, just, like, snap at each other. like They're, like, an old married couple. They kind of are. <laughs> and I love when he was like, I don't think he did it with a stick anymore. Now I think it was a shoe. And then she's like, how'd you know that? He's like, I didn't. I was just getting, no, I was guessing. Yeah, yeah. That's another one of those moves, like, moments where it's like, oh, the character just discovered something. But they didn't. They just randomly, like, got the right answer just by saying words. Yeah, he stumbled into it. He just accidentally said the correct words. You said the correct words and now you're going to die for it. But I think also them telling us at the beginning of like, Leroy's mind is not regular. He's He is an an adult man with like the mind of an eight-year-old and she is eight years old. So I almost feel like they could have made that part a child, but they didn't. They were like, no, it's going to be a full adult male. Yeah. Because he's got to die. Because he's got to die. And I, the line I wrote down of his, when he, the one I liked that he said to her is, I thought I'd seen some mean little girls in my time, but you're the meanest. He was right. She was very mean. Who else? I mean, obviously there's like, it's a movie from 1956. There's not people of color in this, which like, yeah, there's not a lot of positive representation in general. So like, you know. Well, and the, the psychiatry club, one of the psychiatry guys yes. sort of drops a little bit of an inappropriate uh, oh, a totally word. inappropriate. At one point, I was like, oh, good. I'm glad you guys are uh, sitting around thinking the big thoughts here. Yeah. <laughs> Did anybody else notice that the men, just generally speaking, just seem to get a little too horny around this eight-year-old? Yes. Especially Tasker. I wrote that down that, like, I was very creeped out by the way they interacted with her. And just, like, the general... The general kind of like attitude toward little girls that honestly up until very recently was like acceptable for people to be like, so beautiful. This is everyone wants a little girl around like disgusting shit that fucking adults say to children. It was amplified by the fact that she was like, quote unquote, different than the other kids because they like show us the other kids that look like kids. They're wearing jeans. They're having fun. And then there's her and she's like, I am prim and proper. I'm not a child. I am a lady. So it's almost like Mm -hmm. the extra creepiness of like them treating her like she's a lady, like she's older, but she's a kid still. Yeah, even like her own dad in like the first scene says something about like, this is the effect I have on ladies. And it's like, that's your daughter, you weirdo. (laughs) What are you you doing? You're you're married. Shut up. You know, give her a train and, you know, a toy duck and then go to the army, whatever you're doing. (laughs) You creep. Tasker was the biggest creep, though. Yeah, he was so creepy. All of them were creepy. Um, but they like the gender stereotypes in general were also part of the modern lens, like not great. The fact like women have to be like this and men are like this. And oh, yeah. what you all just mentioned was a part of that too. And then, you know, the prescriptive behavior telling people how they should be behaving or reacting to something and there's a right way and a wrong way obviously doesn't hold up. At one point, um, Monica says, when she's talking about Rhoda, she's like, oh, Rhoda's a great kid. She's not like one of these fat, self-indulgent little blobs. And oh, I thought, oh, wow, this woman must be a phenomenal therapist. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just would just want to book a session with her and just hear her great opinions on everything. Oh, that, yeah, that was shocking to hear. I was like, ew, that's so awful to say. And they were kind of spoiling Rhoda throughout. Every scene she got a gift. Yes. All the time. She was just getting gifts. She was like the most indulged child. Yeah, that's kind of a problem. 
as it turns out, she wasn't a very good person. Well, as it turns out, she was a bad seed. But I liked that she asked for what she wanted. Like when she was like, can I have two jewels? I was like, yes, I really appreciated that you stood up for yourself and you asked for what you wanted. She's like, I'm worth it. I'm worth, I want two jewels. That was actually, you know what? That part actually stuck out to me too. When, yeah, when she's like, because her mom's like, Rhoda, two jewels? And then Monica's like, yeah, I don't care. I'll give her two jewels. It's like, yeah, who cares? She's a kid. She likes sparkly stuff. Like, what are you getting mad about this for? She's a murderer. You got to save your getting mads. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was saying about yeah. her. Her acting is like, even from the jump, she's like, Rhoda, Rhoda. Yeah, yeah. Like, relax. We haven't even gotten to the killing yet. It is true. It's like, yeah, let you got to let this slide, lady. Her yeah. reaction to the jewels was higher than her reaction yes. to the murders. It was. She got really mad, yeah. Two jewels. What are we, the Rockefellers? You want turquoise and garnet? Not okay. I was on Rhoda's side until she was a murderer. I was yeah. team Rhoda. Me too. I was until too. Until she killed people. He should have given her the medal. No, Dan. <laughs> he did give her the medal. She killed him anyway. But he was going to tell on her. Dan, no. <laughs> when you really think about it, from no. the standpoint of the era, we have to put yourself in the shoes of a person in the 1950s. No, Dan. That's what makes this a horror movie, is that a, hor- a horror movie takes a real emotion and blows it up to right. an ins- the scariest like unknown of where that emotion could actually end up. So, like, right. yeah, the reality of somebody being like, well, I wanted that, so I took it. Well, how could that get even? Well, I wanted it, so I killed you and I took it. And I'll kill everybody because I want that, you know? That's like, that's the whole genre. Yeah. And horror movies take things that you're not afraid of and make you scared of them. Little kids. Little kids. I would never be afraid of a child, right? But oh, shoot. Now I have to be because one could murder me and I might think they're perfect. Well, we are now heading into the double feature portion of this podcast. If you liked this film, maybe check out some of these films. If I'm being totally honest, I would watch this with Serial Mom because to me, Serial Mom is like the reverse of this. It's like if she grew up, she would be Serial Mom. And I think that movie is wonderful. It's really funny. It's really, it's just a great, it's the John Waters film with Kathleen Turner where she like is the perfect housewife, but she kills people. Right, absolutely. Um, And listens to Barry Manilow's Daybreak. That's a good pairing. Yeah, so that's what I would watch this with, but also like, you know, Psycho. That's another like parental relationship turned serial killer gone wrong. Um, And then again, I haven't seen a lot of horror films, but I feel like the the orphan is maybe that's one where there's like a kid that's a killer, I think. And the omen also, I believe. So I haven't seen them, but I feel like that's in line with this. Um, And also, if you're looking for like children that are rotten, that ruin everything, that would be the children's hour also involved in a school. Um, And then just like other like psychotic people in films that are thrillers like leave her to heaven i mentioned earlier that would be she's a very villainous oh fun yeah character. that's a fun movie i like just watched that that movie was crazy yeah well she was not a good person but yeah. she was a great villain and she was really cool it's pretty wild um and then uh, mildred pierce has vita the evil child who will do anything to get her way and then a uh, gone girl also i feel like you know and then I just wrote Arsenic and Old Lace because that's also about like, oh, no, I'm worried that I inherited these genetics. Maybe I'm adopted. I'm going to add one. And as we're recording this, it's out today. So you can go see it in theaters now. And it is the movie Pearl, 
which is uh, the prequel, Ty yes. West's new movie. It is the prequel movie X. I'm not a big horror guy. You guys, I love this movie. It was like one of my, like my favorite movie of the year, probably. Um, wow. It's, uh, and it, it's actually the premise of the film is it takes place. It's a little before this, it's 1918. Um, but it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz meets like a slasher movie is sort of the vibe. It's like Technicolor. Um, similarly dealing with a main character who is just not really capable of being a good person. Um, it actually shared a lot of themes with this movie. Uh, it is it is the real deal. It is a you know 2022 yeah. horror movie. It's got some spooks, um, but it's it was really excellent. And um, and Mia Goth is uh, this is gonna be a big moment for her because she's amazing in this movie. I um, it's funny you bring that up because literally before we got on this call, I was talking to Joey about that movie, and I was like, I wish I could stomach horror movies. I can't at all because that movie looks so good. And I saw the trailer for it. I also saw the trailer for the the movie that this is a prequel for, for X. Yeah. X. And I thought that looked good. And I think the third one that they're coming out with sounds Maxine. so- Yeah, I was like, these sound incredible. And like, if they didn't have the horror elements, they'd be right up my alley. And I wish I could watch them. Cause that preview, the preview for Pearl, I was like, oh my God, this is like very exciting, but I can't. I totally get it. Can't do it. I would say it's more disturbing than scary, but on the whole, it's just a really good movie. It's just a yeah. really well-written, really well-acted. Like, it's, it's fun. And it's so frustrating because I'm like, there are such good, all these like A24, like all these great yeah, it's horror A24. movies. Yeah, they're, there's such good ones coming out. Like Barbarian was another one that yeah, like, it looks good sounded too. amazing. They sound incredible. They sound so stylized and like so interesting and so exciting in terms of like filmmaking and stuff. But I'm like, I will never watch them. I just can't do it. I feel like Get Out is about as far as I go because I Same. feel like that's like thriller, too. not too scary. But anything yes. that's like beyond that, that that's the divide. Do it. But I think like I think I'm gonna watch X. I think I should because I really loved Pearl. I think that what that what's going on in the horror space right now is really like the most interesting stuff that's being made. Yeah. And it I is agree. a higher it is a higher barrier to entry and it is a more niche market. But because of that, the people inside of that market are really able to comment on things in a way that that other current like popular cinema is not doing. Yeah. I this agree. is this movie takes place in 1918. It takes place during the flu pandemic. Uh -huh. People are walking around with masks. Like in a lot of ways, it, the movie is about the pandemic. So I'm like, I'm really, I, I totally, I'm with, I'm totally with you guys. Like I, a lot of this stuff, like I'm the same way. But I'm like, I think I might have to really try to get over that because I think at this point, those are like the most interesting movies coming out, and like, I'm, I feel like I'm missing them. I yeah. don't know, but I would That's recommend bad. it. I would definitely, highly recommend it as a double feature to this and, and maybe you wait till it comes out on um, video and then just skip through and, you know, see what's, see what's about to happen. Or I can sit there with you and tell you what's about that. That's usually what happens is Joey will go see it first and then he'll tell me every moment I need to close my eyes and ears. Yeah. For Get Out, they wrote articles so you could go see it in theaters about when to look down or when to close your eyes. So I literally followed that. That's funny. I like, knew, so I go, oh, I'm hearing this, look down. Yeah. That's really funny. 
Well, Lauren, do you have any double features or anything else you want to add? The only movie I kept thinking about was Problem Child. (laughs) That'd be a great double feature. So you can get a nice little sampler platter there. It's like Demon Child that murders people, Demon Child that tries to murder people, but it's comedic and he doesn't get away with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I much prefer Rhoda to the Problem Child kid, though, if I'm being totally honest. 100%. I mean, besides the whole murder thing, I thought she was really fun. So there you go. (laughs) Wait, I just realized, is a rhododendron anything? I was I was thinking about that before, too. Because we're talking about the names. Is a rhododendron. It's a flower. It's, it's any, a flower. It, and so, like, does it have any symbolism as a flower? Like, is it a poisonous flower? Some species are poisonous to grazing animals because of a toxin called grayanotoxin in their pollen and nectar. People have been known to become ill from eating honey made by bees feeding on rhododendron and azalea Whoa. flowers. Oh, shit. Wait a minute. In the language of flowers, the rhododendron symbolizes danger and to beware. Okay. Wow. So glad we got that in at the end. There you go. That's Very cool. good. It's almost like a playwright thought about this and then wrote it and then put these details in and then they adapted it. And that's, you know. Who can say? <laughs> well, just all we can do is speculate. Well, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Thank you. It was very fun. I'm glad we got to watch it. Do you guys have anything that you want to promote? I have a Patreon. If anyone likes comedy videos, things like that, I have a Patreon. That's all I have. That's all I have in the world. Where can they find your Patreon? Yeah, www.patreon.com slash Lauren Lopez. And I'm Daniel Strauss on Twitter. So if you want to follow that. Very good. You know, you're going to find, if you do that, you're going to find that you're right where you want to be. Thank you both for being here. And we'll see you all next time on Talk Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guests this week were Lauren Lopez and Daniel Strauss. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find us on anchor.fm to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening.